millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello and welcome to the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm David Kern and I quickly wanted to say a word of thanks to some of our friends who are making this show possible. Our friends over at the CLT, the Classic Learning Test, are doing an amazing work. They're a classically-based alternative to the SAT and the ACT, and it's the fastest-growing college entrance exam in America today. More than 90 colleges now accept the CLT, and many of them even endorse the CLT as their preferred admissions test. That's even more than the SAT and the ACT. Students who take the test can benefit from same-day test results and can share their scores with colleges for no additional charge. To learn more or to find out how to take a test, you can head over to cltexam.com. Again, to register for the CLT, you head over to cltexam.com. So again, thanks so much to our friends over at the Classic Learning Test for sponsoring the Cersei Institute Podcast Network this month. It's because of them and partners like them that this network is possible. And with that, enjoy your show. Thanks for listening. Hello again, and welcome to Ask Andrew, episode 16. I'm Andrew Kern, and I have the privilege of having my daughter, Katerina Julia Kern, with me today. And those of you who have been following along know that we've been talking about the question of cross-cultural education, of whether classical education is something that is just for pale-faced Westerners, or is it for, mm-hmm. is it for everybody? And Katie's had some really, really helpful insights for me. And I think one of the things that she brought out in the last episode, I'd never really thought of it quite this way before, is that anytime you approach a great book, anytime you approach a great work of art, anytime you approach an unknown truth, let's say, you're always approaching as a stranger. And that's really profound. It's interesting, though, now that I think about it, we did a conference a couple years back if that long ago. And um, David Hicks did a talk on what he called philoxenia, which means love of the stranger. Mm -hmm. And we did talk there about about the, uh, I think it was more personal. I think it was more about student to student, student to teacher, parent to child. 
but it's possible. I should listen to those talks again and see if we went into the, the, the issue that when you approach a text, you're approaching as a stranger and we feel it. Mm-hmm. We do. Yeah. We feel it. We feel scared. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, when you stop, when you just draw back and think about it, most of the people who say they don't like a book or they don't like a movie or they don't want to read something. Sometimes it's just that there is so much out there to read and watch and so on. But I think at the root of a lot of it is just the simple fact that it's strange to us mm-hmm. by virtue of the fact that we don't know it mm-hmm. and we don't want to be unsettled. And it's complicated as well, because in order to learn about something, you have to first know about something. You have to first have context. You have to first meet something before you can learn more about that thing, whatever right. it might be. And so I think as teachers, frequently, we just try and teach about something. We give the information or we share the knowledge, but we don't first introduce and go through the the painful, really, process of meeting something first before we then learn about it. Just reach out and shake hands with the... Yeah. A new thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have to know something about something before we can learn about that thing. I've been making this point since the first episode that, that we learn things as caricatures first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think stu- students would benefit if we would let them do that more. Yeah. Um, we try, for example, with the Lost Tools of Writing, we try to, to in, with lesson one, we basically present an, an, a caricature of writing. We, we say to the participants, what are the, your challenges when you write? And then there's only three. Mm-hmm. If you can come up with something to say, order your thoughts and express them appropriately, you can write. Problem right. solved. And caricature terms. Mm-hmm. Now we need to get the details. So I think it would be good for us as teachers to be better at introducing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the trouble is to introduce somebody to a caric- caricature or something is we have to have enough awareness of that thing that we're introducing them to, to identify what its caricature is. Yes. And we have to be able to say, maybe I only have a caricature here. And we have to know the students well enough to know Mm. where their knowledge ends and where the introduction begins. That's why my medic teaching begins with the preparation stage. Yes. Stories, context, things like that. Mm -hmm. And for that one, people who are wondering what I'm talking about, episode 12, we talk about that a little bit. Or take the apprenticeship. Yeah. Um, let me come back to the Kenya mm-hmm. email. Yeah. I, I read I read a bit of it last time, and and because it's a it's a it's a it's not a terribly long email, but um, it goes into deep thoughts that will distract me. I'm going to jump to where we left off last time. Um, for us to appreciate our African culture and examine the beliefs, values, and morals that have undergirded this culture historically is imperative. I would like your thoughts on this. And that's, that's what we talked about yeah. a bit. Mm-hmm. Moving on then, I desire help in putting together such a curriculum for use in Kenya and the African continent and all who would choose to use it from the Western and perhaps Eastern civilizations. Mm-hmm. I love this idea. And I, I know in a way, I'm not sure what issue we're, we're addressing. Um, <laughs> you know, is yeah. the question... Is the question does classical does 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 classical education value African culture? You know what? I'm gonna put it in that explicit a question. Okay. Katie. Yes. Does classical education value African culture or does it want to replace it with a new culture? That really depends on what you mean by classical education and the man- manifestation of that. I think I'm I some of the questions that have been asked. And particularly this one, I'm, I'm wondering if the question means by classical education, specifically the content of classical education. 
And I would argue a little bit differently from my father on this, that when we're, when we're teaching, we can only really teach or learn four things. Dad minimizes it down to three, but I say four. What are my three? I don't remember, but I remember you had three. (laughs) I added habits. I think that we can teach habits, skills, facts, and ideas. Once again, when we talk about this later on, I'll explain where you fall short of understanding. Right. And I will add clearly habits are an important thing that we can teach. So it would be one of the four. Um, (laughs) So it sounds to me initially like people are asking, is the content that we teach in classical education honoring to African culture? Mm. And to that, I would say generally it's not, which is a problem that we need to address. Generally, the way that it's frequently reproduced in American schools is not honoring to African cultures, and that should be resolved. Um, But that's the content specifically. I would argue that the other things that we teach, the habits, the skills, and the ideas, are very much honoring to African culture. So one-fourth of the general manifestation of classical education in America is falling short, but that doesn't mean that all of it is. It's, of course, a caricature of what we see in classical education. But I think that once you are willing to embrace all four elements of classical education, you're not just looking at it as simply, you know, a a curriculum list of subjects that you need to teach. If you can move beyond that, I think you can pick and choose the parts of the curriculum that are honoring or that fit within what you're trying to teach your African-American or African students. And you can feel liberated by that. I don't think that classical education should be a bondage or a set of rules that we have to follow, a set of books that we absolutely have to teach. I think that we can feel the freedom to pick and choose, even still being classical. So that initially, that's my, are there, my response Are there to any that. that you would regard as essential, that you're not giving a classical education if you don't read this book anywhere in the world? Well... I do think that you would need Homer. I do think you would need the Bible. Um, apart from that, probably not. Maybe Virgil. I think, well, one, and this might be a digression, Homer himself and even Virgil, those texts are fundamentally tribal we're dealing with tribal conflicts in those texts. And so as I have been reading those with my students, they have enlightened me so much on, on why Achilles would be so upset. Um, why, uh, why Aeneas needed to, to take his wife and why, why the war blew up because of that. All of these different things in those texts, my students, no, sorry, Aeneas, when he, when he gets all the way to Italy. In the end, in Virgil. He needed to take his wife? When he when he takes the princess who was engaged to Oh, the names. They're getting me. Oh, you're in the you're in the second half. I was now. Switching in to Italy. The second half of Virgil, yeah. Right. After okay. he arrives in Italy. Yeah. When when he is um when he chooses a wife who's essentially engaged to a different clan right. member. Right. Um which is more interesting. It starts with relationship with strangers. Yes, Lavinia, thank you. Um so I think that those texts are very, very easily taught within an African context. In my in my experience, the people who like Homer the least are suburban white people. I'm not surprised by that in the least. I find people like it in every other culture I've ever interacted with. My students absolutely love Homer. They soak it up. They read it for fun. They ask me to read it on the weekends. Katie has told me stories about um, how they have 
acted out or taught yeah. Homer's epics. And if we get a chance, I would love to talk about those in these podcasts. She's only here for a little while, so I don't know. Maybe we'll do a whole stream of sidecasts or something yeah. like that. But um, sorry to interrupt. I just it's fascinating to hear her stories. And I remember you telling me, for example, that you, you got excited once as though it was quite a revelatory thing that here was, I think it was Odysseus was doing something um, very hospitable, very generous to a guest. Yes. And, and you said, isn't that fantastic? And they looked at each other sort of lifting their brows and saying, yeah, isn't that what you do? Do you remember this? Yeah, when Odysseus arrives on the island um, with the princess. Oh, yeah, yeah. Scaria. Yes. Yes. Um, And they welcome him in and they they first feed him and they first bathe him and make sure that he's comfortable. And then they ask him his name and why he's there. After welcoming him to their home and giving him all meeting all of his needs they ask him why he's there i mean it's just amazing and so i made that point isn't this incredible and they they just looked at me like uh duh what else would you do <laughs> well what we would do is you would go to the holiday and desk sign in exactly you know prove that you're who you said you are online yep. yeah <laughs> it, it wouldn't be a personal encounter right yeah. so and even even in the home if you don't know a person in, around in, in our culture why did that person even come to your door Yes, yes, right? exactly. We're, exactly. We're, we're, we, are, we are not a hospitable culture. Right. In most African countries, I don't want to generalize, but most African countries are very hospitable. That's the core of their culture. Yeah. yeah. What I'd love to discuss with you someday is how can you have a hospitable culture that isn't in turn tribal? Because it seems mm. like there's tribal customs that sustain that. But, but, what yeah. is, but was, for example, first, second century... Roman culture in the city of Rome, was it hospitable? I I, I don't that know. That would be interesting. It would be, wouldn't it? Yeah, Maybe you should yeah. go to a good college and study that. That would be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, um, you you mentioned Homer, the Bible, and maybe Virgil, and then talked yeah. about why, why the, well, no, let's not go there because we talk about those books a lot. Yeah. Um, let, let me, we're still at, we're still at the content level. Uh-huh. Should I mention some other books that I use with my students? I think and so, but wondering. what I want to what I want to get at is the is the how do you choose what an American kid studies, and how do you choose what an African, a Ugandan, a Kenyan, a mm-hmm. Sierra Leonean, mm-hmm. a Moroccan? How do you choose in those various contexts what the kids there read apart from the ones that we think are universal? Uh, example, okay, I mm-hmm. think myself, I think every American kid mm-hmm. should read The Roots of American Order by Russell Kirk. Okay. I think that in America is essential because yeah. I don't think you can understand. I don't think there's a better book to help us understand our American political roots and cultural roots. Mm-hmm. Now, I may be wrong on that. I also think that every American student should should memorize the Constitution and should should know the story behind every single amendment in the constitution. Mm-hmm. It would be absurd to suggest that every student in Kenya should do that. Yes. But the question becomes why? Yes. Right. Why, why do you pick what you pick? And then, and then what do you pick now? Again, we're sort of getting low on time. Okay. So, so let me, let, well, you don't have to hurry. I just want to, I just am saying this is so interesting and it gets so deep all the time. Yeah. Um, or 
gets so beautiful. So, so yeah, talk about, talk about how you go about deciding what a person should read mm-hmm. in a given place. Okay. Um, well, you have to start with what you're trying to teach. Are you trying to teach skills? Are you trying to teach ideas, um, facts, or habits? So if you're trying to teach skills, let's say we're looking at English or history, you may be teaching the skill of historical um questioning. How do we go about the process of learning things about history? Well, then you definitely need to be presenting primary source material to your students. Go as far back as you can and find text from whatever country it is that you're teaching in. And from that, give them the skill to be their own historian. Now, you're you're in Uganda. And in Uganda, right. the, the culture has been utterly devastated by Idi Amin, the yeah. AIDS crisis, um, the oral culture has been, as I understand it, largely, not complete, but completely, but largely d- broken. Right. And then when the British were there for about 80 or 100 years, and it was a colony, there was one tribe that was exalted over all the other tribes. And it seems to me that what you're talking about now would be really hard in Uganda. What, what, yes. do, what would you do to help a Ugandan... I mean, see, in the States, maybe we're in decline. Maybe we're coming to an end. Who knows? But we have a lot of documents, a lot of discussion. We can easily engage in it. In Uganda, there's an attempt to build almost from scratch a new civilization. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Help me me think that through a little bit. Okay, time's up. (laughs) <laughs> I think for one is we're looking at Uganda today and we're trying to determine what, what text to use today. First, especially because of colonization and what that has done to Uganda, as the white man entering in, we need to set ourselves aside and say, here's what we have. Here are the facts that we know. Here are the primary source materials that we have. But now you guys tell us your story. Mm. For me, teaching in Uganda is about enabling the Ugandans to tell their own story Mm. because we can tell them time and time again their own story, but we're still the white man telling them their story and we can't do that anymore. It's just time's up on that. We need to give them the skills to read materials, to understand, do the historical process, engage with historical methodology in the best, most excellent form possible. Look at primary but isn't that materials. already isn't that already a, a, a white Western thing? This historical um, primary source material isn't that? Well, al- I think already it is a- if you're disregarding oral tradition. But I think if you can respect the oral tradition and the oral cultures and and let the students bring to it the stories their grandparents have told them, I don't think that it has to be specifically Western. So I very frequently ask my students to tell me about their childhood, the stories that their grandparents have told them, the stories that they've learned growing up, and to bring that into their understanding of of Uganda and their place in Uganda and the culture there. So part of it is teaching them the skills to write their own history. Part of it also is giving them the skills to express their own ideas. I mean, that's what Shakespeare did. Shakespeare became Shakespeare because he read Homer and because he grew up in classical education. Did he so, read Homer? I know he was driven by Virgil and Ovid. Did, did he know Homer? Well, yes, I think Homer, I, presumably Homer would have been a part of his curriculum, would it not? Homer came to Italy in the yeah. 16th century. Well, he, he, Shakespeare was 1590 to 1610, basically. 
would he have known Homer? I'm not. I guess it's right on the cusp of when Homer was entering into European history. So I'd have to research that. It was, it was trans Chapman. Yeah. Chapman was around Shakespeare's time. I'd have to check when that was. Anyway, sorry. Whether he, whether he did or not, he was, he, he was Shakespeare because of the tradition that was handed down to him. And I think it's time that in Africa, we give them the skills to, to have their own Shakespeare, to develop their own voice in their own language and express themselves and stop forcing them into English and into Western culture and into our expectations for them. But when you say we give them the skills, is that still not just Western arrogance? We give them the skills? Well, I think it's, it's the Greeks and the Romans giving them the skills like Shakespeare was given. So we're just transmitting what we received. Right. If we're saying And that, frankly, we've dropped aside. We're not right, very good exactly. at this stuff anymore. Oh, no, we're terrible. If, I mean, if if as Americans, we're going to go to Uganda and give them American education, then, well, goodness, I'm not going to go. That's right. not what this is about. That's not what this is about at all. And we can't act like as Americans or as the white man in the world today, we somehow have a monopoly on excellent education because we simply don't. We don't. No, we don't. But there was excellent education once. Well, there have been times when really great education has been practiced in varying places. Right, not fully, yes. Yeah, and that's what we need to do is strive for the best. Right. You know, best practices is what consultants talk about. Well, best practices aren't being done now. Right, and I mean, one of the most excellently classically educated women in the world was North African, Cleopatra. She was Greek, though. Yes, but she was classically educated in North North Africa. Africa. Hey, Augustine of Hippo is African. There's this lots is, of people. This, this has been again too interesting, and we've gone too <laughs> far, we, uh, too long. Oh, we, sorry. We, we need to we need to stop. But I'm going to ask you again. Can you come back for another one? <laughs> sure. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Hey, Katie. Mm. I love you. I love you too. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.